Happy Lord's Day. Good morning. Uh, we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we are now uh, towards the end of uh, the middle chapter of the Sermon of, on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 6. And, um, you know, one of the topics that, uh, uh, that some pastors seldom preach about, you know what? Money. Giving. Uh, I, can, I can say by experience and also uh, with my observation that um, you know, many pastors and preachers really tremble <laughs> in preparation for preaching about money uh, because one, on one end, people might think that when pastor preaches about money, Maybe the, the church is lo looking for funds. That's why pastor is uh, looking for ask, uh, uh, preaching about money and things like that. Uh, or uh, the pastor will invite someone else to preach on tithing and giving. So um, that's uh, the, the tendency. You know, the good thing about preaching expositionally and going through, you know, a, a, a book you cannot skip a topic like this. But you know who teaches? Who's the preacher uh, that teaches a lot about money, aside from prosperity gospel preachers? You know who teaches a lot about money? Jesus. Jesus. He does not skip that topic. He addresses it very clearly. In fact, about one-fourth of the parables that he says, and you will see this mostly in, in, in uh, the Gospel of Luke, about one-fourth of that is about finances. His teaching about money is mostly warning us about its dangers. And one of those teachings is found in our text today where the Lord clarifies to those who follow him what their relationship with wealth should look like. And he's telling us here today the truth about treasure. And that's our uh, topic today, the truth about treasures. So what's, what is the truth about treasure? Let me break it down into three things. Don't worry, we don't have, uh, this is, I'm sure this is uh, pretty straightforward, so we don't have any slides, just this uh, text and title. Let's break it down into three things, the good thing, the bad thing, and the glorious thing, right? The good thing, the bad thing, and the glorious thing. What's the good thing about treasures? Well, treasures train us for stewardship. What is a steward? What do you, what, what do you know about a steward? Who is a steward? Caretaker, right? Someone who looks after or cares for or manages another person's property. So, you know, in our culture today, we have fund managers. We have financial advisors that manages the property of someone else. In many of Jesus' parables, the characters in, in that story are servants or stewards, either of a property, a flock, or money, 
or as yung famous na parable parable of the talents which we say oh yung talent ko ganyan but talent there is actually a monetary value so that should already give us a clue of this relationship dynamic with this king that while we are here on earth we are called to be stewards and wealth is an effective means to train us for stewardship. Look at the instruction of Jesus and notice that this transaction, this, this instruction can be understood from the perspective of a steward. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys worth and where thieves break in and steal. Let me clarify one thing. Jesus here is not condemning earthly possessions altogether. You know, keep in mind that Abraham is considered wealthy in his time. Isaac, his son, has been wealthy. has been blessed by God. Jacob uh, became very wealthy, uh, of course, through deception. Uh, from uh, by against his father-in-law Joseph became the second most powerful man in Egypt Solomon King Solomon is considered the richest man in ancient history so there are rich people in heaven so that is not this is not a condemnation to rich this is not rich versus poor what Jesus is warning us here are two things number one Storing up treasure for your own benefit. That's why don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Number two, storing up the wrong kind of treasure. So he is warning us about the object of treasure and the subject of treasure. So Jesus is opening up our eyes so we can see that hoarding earthly treasure is a pointless attempt to find a sense of security. You're trying to hold on to something that is temporary. You're exerting energy for something that deteriorates. You're looking for something that can easily be easily destroyed either by natural calamity or by human depravity. Think of something, think of the most secured investment you can think of and put your money there. With enough time, you can also think of one or two things that can easily destroy it. At any earthly treasure, there's always one or two or more that can easily destroy it. Pastor, akala ko ba good thing? How is this a good thing? Well, it's good because it helps us see that we don't own these things. That we are merely stewards of this created world. Whether it's money in your bank, whether it's a big property, whether it's your uh, possession in your garage, or it's a physical address of your home or condo, we don't own it. We're merely managers. And because earthly possession or treasure is temporary, 
because it loses its value either very quickly or gradually. We must make the most out of it, not for personal gain, but for the good of others. So if, you, if we are just managers, caretakers of something that we do not own, while it is still um, in our care, we make the most out of it. Did you notice that the money in your wallet are just temporary residents in your wallet? After 30 days, it's gone. <laughs> while it's there, while it's there, make the most out of it. Not for personal gain to store up for yourselves treasures for yourselves, but for the good of others. Not for your benefit, but for others. What about heavenly treasure? What does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? Well, I'll explain in a bit, but let me clarify also what it does not mean. Storing up treasures in heaven does not mean collecting good things and good works so that you have enough credit to earn your entry to heaven. That's not what it means. That's not what it means. The young people call this salvation points. <laughs> oh, you're losing salvation points because of what you said on social media. Or you're adding salvation points because you're, you know, you gave, uh, you gave the charity. You know, Jesus is not teaching salvation points here. Storing up treasures in heaven is not adding salvation points. Salvation is still by grace alone through faith alone. We can never have enough good works that will merit us heaven. But the good works here is a response of a sinner that is saved by grace alone through faith alone because he is completely grateful to the God who loved him completely. And he continues to live a life of good works, not to gain the favor of God, but to amplify the rejoicing in heaven. That's the point of good works. And here's the encouraging part. The good works of a true believer does not go to waste. Any good work you do, it, yes, it does not merit your entry to heaven, but it does not go to waste. Where does it go? Or the little things that, that you do for the good of God's people, for the good of the gospel, for God's glory, all of it accumulates for your heavenly eternal enjoyment. It is the only investment that does not deteriorate. It does not lose its value. It's not dependent on the interest rates annually. It is not affected by inflation nor gas prices. It is safely stored in a place where no thief can open and no rust nor moth can destroy. If you're looking for a safe investment, that's storing up treasures in heaven. Pastor, what does rejoicing in, in, heaven, in, in our heavenly treasure look like? Honestly, I don't know. 
I'll tell you when I get there. I'll, I'll give you an idea what it looks like. But here's a, maybe this will help you. Um, uh, my mother loves to listen to Christian songs when I was young. So we have this cassette tape. Do you know what a cassette tape is? <laughs> so we have a cassette tape of a collection of Christian songs. And one of the songs that I still remember today that, um, that really I find really uh, amazing is the, the song uh, entitled Thank You by Ray Boltz. Boltz with a Z. Um, it is a, it's, a, it's a good Christian song, and, and I will read to you uh, the lyrics of that song. But keep in mind, let me just uh, share a disclaimer. This is an anecdotal song. It's a, it's a song telling a story. It's not, it was not used in corporate worship. It's just a song by a Christian singer. Okay, so please don't overanalyze it. All right? Here's the, here's the, the, the song. Thank you by Ray Boltz. I dreamed I went to heaven and you were there with me. We walked upon the streets of gold beside the crystal sea. We heard the angels singing, then someone called your name. You turned and saw this young man and he was smiling as he came. And he said, friend, you may not know me now, and then he said, but wait, you used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. And every week, you would say a prayer before the class would start. And one day when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart. The chorus goes, thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. Here's verse 2. Then another man stood before you and said, Remember the time a missionary came to your church and his pictures made you cry? You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. So one by one they came Far as the eyes could see, each life somehow touched by your generosity. Little things that you had done, sacrifices made, a notice on earth in heaven now proclaim. And I know that up in heaven you're not supposed to cry, but I am almost sure that there were tears in your eyes as Jesus took your hand and you stood before the Lord. He said, my child, look around you, for great is your reward. So thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. You know, this for me is a picture of re rejoicing for our treasures in heaven. One after another, a Christian praising the Lord for the good works done by those who follow him. That's why there's so much rejoicing that will happen for eternity because this is what we're going to do. We will tell one another, You're, you know, remember the time that you helped me clean up the church? That was an encouragement for me. 
You know, remember the time that you helped me with Sunday school? Thank you for that sacrifice. Friends, don't waste an opportunity to do good works, whether big or small. It does not go to waste. Your spiritual disciplines that you do in private, it does not go to waste. Your Bible reading that seems dry, it's, it feels like it's going nowhere, it does not go to waste. Your prayers that seem unanswered, it does not go to waste. Your self-denial, you're saying no to sin, you feel like you're struggling, it does not go to waste. It earns investment in heaven. And that investment is full of rejoicing. So I hope that we do this, that, that, like the song that, we, that the song that I just read. We say thank you for giving to the Lord. Thank you for your generosity. But just, you know, just a small note. Please don't wait for heaven to start appreciating the people who have been generous and good to you. Start doing it now. A little encouragement goes a long way to a, per, to a person who is unsure whether his good works is amounting to anything. You can do a lot of encouragement today. Don't wait for heaven to make that happen. Here's a, a more practical uh, instruction by uh, Paul to this young pastor, Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, and this is an instruction for for the congregation, 1 Timothy 6, 17, instruct those who are rich in the present age. You know who are rich? If you have a cell phone today, you're rich. Instruct them not to be arrogant or to set hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. That's what practically looks like to store up treasures in heaven. So again, the first good thing about treasures is that it trains us for stewardship. We recognize, you know, we do not own these temporary things, so we make the most out of it. Second thing, second good thing about treasure, actually it's a transition between a, the good and the bad. Well, treasures exposes our hearts. It exposes our hearts. It's a good thing because it leads us to confession and repentance. But we appreciate the good as we recognize the bad. That's the bad thing about treasure. Number one, here's the first, thi first bad thing. Treasures tend to blind us. Treasures tend to blind us. That is the whole idea of this metaphorical illustration uh, that we see in verse 22 and 23. You might, you might read this. What is Jesus talking about here? Is he skipping another topic? 
we we must understand its context in the in in the perspective of wealth and earthly possessions. Jesus here is using the metaphor I to distinguish a person's spiritual condition. Uh, a good I is a you know a a, a soul that is uh, good. A bad eye is a morally corrupt person. Because in Jewish literature, yung eye is synonymous to heart. So it's just using a, a, a different part of the body. Meaning, uh, in, in this uh, context, it's the direction of your life, the intention of your heart, the affection of a person. And it's interesting that Jesus uses eyes here as an illustration because wealth, whether you have an abundance of it or the lack of it, it blinds us of our moral corruption. It blinds us. Let me explain. You know, no one, no one readily admits that they are rich. No one. When I said, you know, you, you know who is a rich person? You might say, well, definitely not me. No one readily admits that they are rich. If you ask someone, are you rich? Unless you're Elon Musk or the owner of Amazon, you might say, you know, your quick answer would be definitely no, right? But if you ask someone that does not have the same privilege, privileges as you, and you ask that person, is that person rich? They will tell you yes. You might not even consider, you know, is CRC Makati a rich church? As the pastor, I would say definitely no. <laughs> but, but there will be people who will come in here and, and they will say, Oh, that church is not for me. Mayaman. It's for the rich. No one readily admits that they are rich. We're blinded to it. Let me press deeper. You know, treasures tend to blind us of our own greed. We not just we're just, not just blinded that we are rich. We're also blinded that we are greedy. You know, it's easier to realize that you are struggling with lust than you are to know you are struggling with greed. Much easier. Let's say today I give you. I give you today. 10,000 pesos. And I will give that to you every day for 30 days. Imagine. I don't have that kind of money, but just imagine. 10,000 pesos every day in the next 30 days. Wow. <laughs> what kind of stuff will you buy? What will you do? How much is that in 30 days? A lot. 
Let's say after 30 days, I give you 5,000 every day for the next 15 days. And the month after that, I give you 2,500 every day for the next 10 days. Let's say after next, after the following, the, the following month, I give you 500 pesos one time. And the month after that, you don't hear from me ever. By the end of those few months, it's very likely that you will tell me, why are you not giving me money anymore? Why are you so unfair? You used to give me 10,000 pesos. Now you're not giving me anything anymore. You're so unfair. As if we deserve that 10,000 every day. That's how greed works. We don't recognize, we don't realize that it's consuming us. You know, I've, it makes me sick to my stomach to hear this story of a prosperity gospel preacher who owns a private jet. And he is completely convinced that he needs a second private jet so that he can fly faster and longer for the sake of the ministry. And he has convinced his congregation to do fundraising for the second private jet. How filthy is that, right? He is completely convinced that he's doing that for the sake of the ministry. But you know what? In a smaller scale, we, have, we, we may not be asking for private jets, but in a smaller scale, we have our own stories of greed. That we're saying, I need more. My company is not paying me enough. I need more. The, this house that I have is so small, I need a bigger house. This phone that I have does not have 5G. I need more. In some smaller scale, we have our own stories of greed. And you know what's the bad thing? We don't recognize it. We don't recognize it. You know, earthly treasures have the capacity to blind us. But here's what, what's worse. Treasures have the power to possess our hearts. Our possessions tend to possess us. And here's the bullseye really of what Jesus is teaching here. Verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is his whole main point. You know, Jesus is not after your possessions. He is after your heart. 
one commentary said, the thing that a person values most highly inevitably occupies the center of his or her heart. You know, our greatest treasures give us the greatest anxieties. And, you know, uh, next week, that will be the, the, the preaching. Our greatest treasures give us the greatest anxieties. You know why? Because our treasures, our greatest treasures are stored in our hearts. We keep it there because it gives us a sense of worth, a sense of validation. I want this close to my heart. This, uh, this is at the center of my heart because I, when I know I have this, I have worth. I have value. When I have this, I know who I am. And so our statement would look like, if I have blank, so feel free to fill in the blanks. If I have blank, I will be happy. If I have blank, my life will be comfortable. If I have this, people around me will respect me. If I have blank, I will finally have a sense of security. And so, these treasures, instead of serving us, it has become our masters. That's why Jesus gives this stern warning. In verse 24, no one can serve two masters. He's not using, uh, you know, yung service here is not like an employee. He's actually using the term slaves. No one can be a slave to two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, and you will be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You know, our contemporary English Bible, uh, although that is correct, it removes the, the weight of what is Jesus telling here. Uh, in, our, in your Old English version, maybe the New King James, it will say, you cannot serve God and mammon. Who's that? <laughs> well, mammon is a God figure. Basically, Jesus is personifying wealth here as if wealth is not just an object, it's someone. You know, by, by using that language, Jesus is pointing out not just a behavior thing, but idolatry. Idolatry. Jesus is putting a weight on the issue here when he said you cannot serve God and mammon because your allegiance can either be with a true God or a false God, the God called money. You know, make no mistake, there will be multitudes of people in hell, in hell because of their relationship with wealth. And I'm not talking about rich people. I'm talking about people 
who are enslaved with either the abundance of money or wealth or the desire or the longing to have that. So much that it becomes your God. You know, friends, the sad thing is we are living in a world that is worshiping this false God. And we have become part of it. That's why the Lord is calling us to open our eyes, to not be blinded by this. We're just so blinded by it. You know, in the Old Testament, the Israelites have forsaken Yahweh for Baal. Today, we have forsaken this covenant-keeping God and have become slaves to materialism. And that's the bad news. That we live in this idolatrous world that has forsaken our true master. But there's a glorious news. Here's the gospel. We don't have to remain slaves to this false god. We don't have to remain slaves because there is a far better treasure that is worth pursuing and there's a far infinitely glorious better master that is worth serving. And that treasure, that master is Jesus Christ himself. You know, Ephesians 1 verse 3 reminds us that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because of our union with Christ. You don't just receive the fruits of creation, you receive the focal point of all creation. You don't just get the benefits, you get the giver. But consider what it meant for Christ to be our treasure to be our reward. It meant for him to leave the comforts of a glorious throne. The beauty of heaven, the majesty of heaven, he leaves that to become human, to be born into poor parents, to live a life of simplicity and generosity. to suffer as a criminal. All of this to set us free from the slavery to things that we think will satisfy us. You know, in the words of Tim Keller, every treasure, every treasure on this earth says, give your life to purchase me. Jesus says, I am the one treasure who died to purchase you. Friends, Jesus is not the means to an end. He is our treasure. He is our reward. He is the one that completely satisfies. When we have him, we do not say, I need more of something else. He is enough. He is sufficient. What does it look like when Jesus is our treasure? Well, 
you look at those who are richer than you, you look at them not with envy or contempt. You look at them with love. The way Jesus looks at the rich. You look at those who do not have the same privileges as you. You look at them with respect and dignity. The way Jesus looks at those who are poor. You grow in generosity because you already have the greatest treasure. You look at earthly treasures as a means to serve others and not just yourself. And you see yourself as a steward and a slave of the one true king that gives you joy and contentment. What a glorious thing when followers of Jesus are not slaves to wealth, but use it to bring the goodness of our God in our lifetime. Friends, be faithful stewards of what God has given us today. If you have Christ, you will never be poor. Let's pray. God, we thank you that as we think of things that we lack, we are reminded that we are so rich. We are rich in grace. We are rich in love. We are rich with every spiritual blessing because of Christ. Lord, as we consider ourselves to be poor in spirit, beggars and sinners, because of the gospel, we are reminded that we are in abundance so much that we can be generous. Lord, it is not just those who are richer than us that can be generous. We can be generous today because you have been generous to us. Teach us what it looks like to be faithful stewards of what you have given us. Thank you for this rebuke, God, and teach us to repent of our idolatry and help us put our allegiance to our true master who brings us true joy and true contentment and true satisfaction. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.